Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and provide a foundation for understanding it, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and in this season number four, you'll find a new approach, including interviews and covering a wide variety of subjects. But after you listen to this episode, I encourage you to go back and really explore the previous seasons as they are full of valuable information. You get to pick and choose what to learn about next. Season one covers common aesthetic or cosmetic surgery topics and skincare, while season two explains reconstructive surgery topics. Then season three goes over general questions about plastic surgery. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion, as well as those of any guest interviewed. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a formal consultation with your physician. So stay tuned for this interesting journey we'll take together in the ever-expanding world of plastic surgery. Let's go. Well, one of the hottest topics in plastic surgery right now is the concept of prejuvenation meaning trying to prevent the signs of aging from even forming, rather than chasing lines and wrinkles which have already developed. It's a fascinating concept that is building steam quickly. Here to answer all the questions you might have about this intriguing subject is none other than Dr. Rod Rorick in Dallas, Texas, whose clinical and academic accomplishments are hard to match. Listen in as we discuss some of the options in prejuvenation, as well as some of the basic things that everyone should be doing. Dr. Rourke sheds light on where this movement came from and the exciting developments yet to come. Here we go. Well, today we are very privileged to have Dr. Rod Rourke with us, and he is the Clinical Professor of Plastic Surgery at Baylor College of Medicine, the past chair and distinguished teaching professor of plastic surgery at UT Southwestern, and the founding partner of Dallas Plastic Surgery Institute. In addition to that, he's the emeritus editor of the Journal of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery and Global Open, and he is just an all-around wonderful board-certified plastic surgeon practicing in Dallas, Texas. On top of that, as if that wasn't enough, he has his own podcast, and it's called the Rourke Knows Podcast, and that's K-N-O-S-E, which is a great little pun. I love that, Rod. But first of all, I just want to welcome you to Plastic Surgery Decoded. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. And as we get started, would you mind giving us the current scope or nature of your practice? I, uh, I do primarily facial aesthetic surgery. I do primarily rhinoplasty, primary, secondary rhinoplasty from all over around the world, revision rhinoplasty, and, and as well as facelift surgery, primary and revision facelift surgery. I have a global practice in Dallas, Texas, and um, I'd say over 50% of my patients come from around the world or the other parts of the U.S., and um, I love what I do every day, and it's fun, and I just you know, finished a full day of surgery and did six FaceTime consults from people from three countries and some in the U.S. So it's fun. So I'm here with you today. I'm so pleased. And, you know, the international component of your practice is a wonderful addition. And uh, clearly you have a great reputation around the world. So congratulations. Well, you know, I know that this topic today, as we talk about prejuvenation, I know it is a topic that you're enthusiastic about. So let's just start with a definition. Uh, most people understand what rejuvenation means, but what does prejuvenation refer to? 
Well, I mean, I think it's a very hot topic now, both in social media and in, uh, and in plastic surgery. But basically, it means that you know you're preempting rejuvenation. You're basically doing things that may uh, prevent you from aging. Certainly, like especially in the non-surgical arena, using you know neuromodulators like Botox, you know, even before you have any significant wrinkles or any at all, and beginning them at the late teen years or early 20s. Uh, so you're doing things that potentially may actually enhance your anti-aging potential long-term. Now, there's not a lot of good scientific data about that, but it does seem to make sense. You know, if you, if you prevent wrinkle formation in your 20s and 30s, you know, it may, it may take a little while longer for it to develop. So basically trying to prevent the signs of aging before they have a chance to even happen. So I I know that's wildly popular right now. Uh, But, you know, in past decades, a plastic surgeon might send away a young potential patient who is interested in facial procedures to stave off signs of aging. But these days they are embraced. So when did you start to see that shift in your practice and what do you think precipitated it? You know, I started seeing it about 10 years ago and I think, you know, the millennials have actually precipitated it because they actually don't want to age. They don't want to age like us. They want to age. They want, they don't want to age at all, which I think is laudable, you know, it's, you know, not going to happen, but they want to just look and feel as good as they do now in their twenties and thirties. And, and so a lot of it, it actually started, I think, through much of it through social media that's saying, listen, I'm now getting my fillers, my Botox, you know, in my 20s. And, uh, and look how good I look in my 30s now. And then even some fillers, you know, that they say, hey, my face still looks as good as it was when I was 20 or 18. So, I mean, initially, I kind of like all of us in plastic surgery, we kind of said, really, that's really not possible. But you know, I've actually seen that in patients that I've treated now for really almost six, seven, eight years that so you know what, it has made a difference. And I, and I know if you look at neuromodulators, especially the, the best studied ones, Botox, you can see that it does enhance and maintain a better texture of the skin and softness. And, uh, and the longer you use it, I, I think that the skin does look better because the muscle underlying it is probably a little more weakened. Yeah, so it's not pulling that skin together and contributing to wrinkles, et cetera. We're seeing that with also with the masseter, you know, when, if you can release that tension on the masseter, those patients not only feel better, but they actually look better too in the long term. So I think there is some emerging evidence that prejuvenation may be more than just a social media event. And for the listeners, the masseter is that muscle that's uh, close to the angle of the jaw, a very strong muscle. It's the strongest muscle in the human body for homo sapiens because it's the muscle that allows us to be carnivores. You know, it's the masseter from the mandible to the zygoma. Yeah, and I wonder if some of that um, interest in younger generations comes from just being aware of technologies that have developed that will allow certain improvements. And of course, being a more visual uh, society now with so much social media. So I, I wonder if both of those have contributed to the interest as well. You know, do you have a certain formula or a stair-step approach you like to use for prejuvenation, starting with um, you know, topical things, then neuromodulators, fillers, resurfacing? Well, I start with uh, skincare. 
you know, I start with skincare. I mean, I think everybody should be on skincare, uh, you know, at a very early age, starting with sunscreens. So, you know, we all need to be on uh, yeah. sunblock, UVA, UVB sunblockers. And then we should eventually get people on retinols. You know, they actually are anti-aging. We've shown that. So it's not only anti-aging. That's probably the best science of any of the prejuvenation is to use skincare, uh, retinols, sunscreens, because they not only prevent aging, but they prevent skin cancers. And, and you know, all of that begins when you're in your teenage years, because skin cancers aren't manifest for 10, 15 years. And guess what we all did when we were um, younger? I mean, hopefully my kids and our kids know better, but you know, we yeah. roasted and basted in the sun and that was not wise. And um, so I think that's the best form of rejuvenation, you know, um, yeah. not smoking, not avoiding the sun, sunscreen, using antioxidants, um, retinols, uh, vitamin C topical is very, very important. I mean, I think people should use vitamin C antioxidants, not when they have actinic changes in their skin, but they should use it now. And then the early use of moisturizers, all those things are, you know, the cardinal aspects of skincare. So that's number one is skincare. Then number two, once you get um, moving forward and you see any signs of wrinkling crow's feet, you should begin with neuromodulators. And then in your mid twenties, if you see any signs of aging, especially in the, in the, in the cheeks or in the nasal labial folds, you can slowly begin the use of fillers in that area. Very, very tiny volumes. This is not, you know, the volumes that you see that are on Instagram or the put in the Hollywood type of Kardashian look, but just enough to modulate. So you look yeah. the same as you did when you were 18. That's kind of the stair-step approach. And then uh, resurfacing or skin tightening? You know, I think that's later. You know, if you do skincare, sunscreens and retinols, you can modulate uh, that. And, uh, you know, with intense pulse light treatments, there's some data to show, you know, that may actually reduce your telomere breakdown in the skin. You know, there's some studies in the dermatology literature that show that with repeated use of intense pulse light treatments that you can actually truly maintain or even reverse aging of the face and skin. And there's some preliminary data that shows that it reverses aging. And, and actually that's like a, over 10 year data. So that actually is something that I would add next before I even would add a chemical peel or something more aggressive than that. Maybe then doing fruit acid peels like salicylic acid or other fruit acid peels that are much lighter than a, like a stronger peel, like a trichloroacetic acid peel. So these are just kind of a, a gradual, you know, addressing the topical and then the deep surface. And, you know, with all the skincare product options and the categories, how do you work it in your practice? Because that's overwhelming for patients to be... Um, trying to make sure they have this and this. Do you uh, and your staff go through and create a little regimen for the patient? We actively do so. I mean, every patient in my practice is on skincare. I mean, I think that they are on, those, on the five aspects I mentioned on regimen of skincare. And we have a skincare center too, but we actively promote it because we think it's, it's good for them. It's good for their skin. It's good for their longevity. And it actually makes our results better. You know, my facelifts look better if they long-term are on retinols, on antioxidants and sunscreen, they'll look better longer. So 
it actually is to their advantage and my advantage to make them look better longer. So it's not very passive. It's very active. When they have any surgical procedure, they get a skincare regimen with that. And then they get instructions on how to do it. You know, we have a multiple skincare experts in my practice that actually does that. So it's not a passive event. That's great. Well, I'm curious, what are some of the most commonly asked for procedures or most popular prejuvenation interventions in your experience? I mean, you're going to advise the patient for what they really need, but what do they come in asking for? Well, most commonly, you know, it'll be the late or the, you know, the teenager late asking for, you know, a Botox or a neuromodulator and or, a, you know, a filler, you know, that they've seen a little aging around their eyes or around their lips. And, and you know, I used to resist doing that, but I think now a small amount of neuromodulator around the crow's feet and the forehead is actually reasonable. It's called microtox, where you actually put it very superficial in the skin and actually it makes the skin softer and it enhances the jawline. So use microtox for that. Well, yeah, I would imagine that would probably be one of the more popular things that would be interesting and intriguing to patients because they see that kind of stuff all the time. Um, you know, we've been talking about non-surgical interventions for prejuvenation. Is there ever a time uh, or a situation where you would suggest something surgical, but as a prejuvenation technique? Have you been doing any facelifts under age 40 or, you know, what are, what are you finding? Well, I think prejuvenation in, in that gap population, you know, before, you know, the advent of all of the, you know, in, incredible technology of radio frequency skin tightening, there was no gap. You basically had to go from nothing or from fillers and Botox to surgery. But now there's a lot of gap technology where, you know, you can use bimodal radio frequency skin tightening. Uh, sometimes I will do that in patients that just have a little early slight aging and I'll tighten their skin with uh, in the office with radio frequency skin tightening or something called Morpheus, which is radio frequency microneedling. Um, it's a great machine. You know, and sometimes I combine that, you know, or do that with PRP, which is platelet-rich plasma. And most recently, we've been advocating the use of exosomes, which are the messenger for stem cells. We are using and doing some clinical work on the use of stem cells for enhancing hair follicle growth uh, because we know that PRP doesn't enhance hair follicle growth. So we use PRP a lot yeah. for hair and sometimes for the skin for microneedling. So that's kind of the minimal invasive technology, but it really works. I mean, when you combine exosomes, PRP, and you drive it into the skin with microneedling, and then if you want to tighten the skin with radiofrequency skin tightening, these are all things that are now available yeah. uh, and that we offer to our patients all the time. In fact, you know, I have a nurse practitioner, that's all yeah. he does. And uh, so that's for that prejuvenation yeah. group. I think that's wonderful. And, and there's some really neat uh, technology that's out now. And I think, didn't you do a little podcast episode about exosomes recently? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought so. Yeah. That was good. So that's all on the horizon. And um... yeah, it's, it's fascinating what can be done now. In your practice, you do a lot of surgical intervention, but how commonly are you seeing patients for prejuvenation? What percent would you estimate? I would say up to 10% of patients are, are prejuvenation type candidates yeah. that really don't really show significant signs of aging or have early aging. You know, maybe it's 10 or 15%. And, um, yeah. you know, 
that's that's increasing during COVID. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And how about men versus women? You know, there are more females than males, but the males are a rising population. They want to be a little more secretive. You know, in Texas, nobody really cares about what everybody has. You know, everybody wants to look good. So, but you know, males have always been more secretive than women. So, fair enough. And that 10 to 15% of your patient population who are prejuvenation patients, uh, what age are they typically? Are they mostly 20s? Are they mostly? Well, they go from 19 to 25, 30. And, um, yeah. you know, and sometimes they come in with their mom, you know, especially if they're going off to college and they may have early, you know, frown lines or uh, they may have some early bagging, you know, which is congenital of their lower eyelids or, you know, fullness of their cheeks, which is the buccal fat, you know, and those selective patients, yeah, surgery does work for that, but that's really prejuvenation. You know, they, it's really congenital yeah. where they basically have these fullness here or they have bags in their eyelids, which really it's not aging. It's yeah. really yeah. just born with it. It makes you look older because you have these bags. So, so to operate on them is really prejuvenation because you're, you're making them look better. And we know the benefits of prejuvenation treatments, you know, staving off the signs of aging. But in your opinion, does interacting with tissues early and regularly affect or even impair its future pliability, say? Is there a risk of fibrosis or thickening or hardening or difficulty with future surgeries? Well, not with Botox and not with uh, some fillers. But when you begin using you know, any heat or radio frequency technology, the answer to that would be yes. Can have an effect. But you have to be careful. I mean, honestly, today, it is rare for me to operate on a primary facelift patient that hasn't had some type of rejuvenation, non-surgical or prejuvenation technology. Yeah. They've all either had it, they've had Sculptor, they've had Althera, they've had everything. And so it makes it hard, but it's common. Everybody wants to avoid surgery. Oh, of course. And we do our best to try to keep that promise for them if we can. But uh, sometimes you just have to go for it. Well, you know, I wonder if I could just get a little philosophical for a minute. Do you just in general worry about society's focus on prejuvenation or intervention at a younger age? Do you think there's a message being sent about whether or not aging is okay or accepting ourselves? Or do you think we as plastic surgeons are filling a need that is demanded by the public? You know, I think that answer is multifactorial. I think that um, society and social media has created this image of youthfulness and beauty that sometimes is actually not real. And, you know, when you look at social media, you know, the data will show that up to 70, 80% of images are morphed. When you see some of the, the famous people in person that uh, are on social media, I personally will say half the time they're not almost recognizable because they don't look anything like what they look like on social media, including a famous family. But um, basically, you know, I think we've created a kind of a false sense of beauty. And I think that's somewhat harmful to, you know, the youthful patient, especially young females, because it gives them the illusion that, oh, that they should be more beautiful or that's how they should look when really their idols or their models really don't look that way at all. They are morphed and, mm-hmm. 
you know, we see that all the time when we see the non-morph version of these quote-unquote famous, you know, role models and you go, oh my God, they look like everybody else. So that's the bad side. The good side is everybody wants to look as good as they feel. And I think that's good. I think that's not prejuvenation. That's human yeah. nature. So, but it's been brought back down a notch, you know, it used to be the 30s and 40s and 50s, and now it's 18 to 20s. So it's going down and, you know, we as baby boomers are really not running our economy anymore. We are part of it. But the millennials are really, they demand to look and stay where they are, which is fine, you know, but eventually everybody does age. And that's why plastic surgery is always the end goal. <laughs> it's always there. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, that makes sense. And, and those statistics about uh, how much computer morphing is present on social media. That's that's amazing. That's higher than I even thought. Oh, yeah. And that's why I do videos all the time. It's harder to morph a video than it is. A, yeah, yeah, true. Than so. a still image. Makes sense. A little safer. Um, well, you know, what do you see on the forefront of the field? Or what would you like to see in the future for prejuvenation offerings? Is there something you wish could be added or maybe hasn't even been developed yet? Well... I mean, eventually we will be really doing customized prejuvenation for every individual, you know, based upon their genome, their genetics, their, you know, their, their skin type. I think that's well on the horizon. And, you know, there's some data to show that already. But I think that's going to become the standard in the next 10, 15 years that we're going to say, hey, you know, you are Fitzpatrick 2 and it's a skin type. You're yeah. of, this is your genome. This is your genetic. This is what you need to do to look, you know, and maintain your uh, age for 10, 15 years longer. And so there'll be a recipe for that, you know, way beyond skincare, neuromodulators and Botox, there'll be other things, you know, there'll be gene altering uh, substances, you know, exosomes and beyond that really will alter that. So you'll look as good, you know, for 20, 30 years. Yeah, it's really fascinating to think about that, how you could uh, basically break it down by skin type and create uh, almost a regimented formula yeah. for what that person is likely going to encounter as they age, though. I think that's just tremendous. Well, gosh, you've told us so much today and explained a lot. This is a really hot topic, as you say, and people want to hear more about it, and they definitely want to hear your take on it. Um, as we leave today, are there any final thoughts you'd like to leave the listeners with? Any final message about prejuvenation? Well, first of all, I think, you know, no one lives forever. I think what you should do is take good care of yourself, take good care of your skin. Don't smoke, stay out of the sun, use sunscreens, use retinols. These are all prejuvenation things that are good common sense and will make you and your skin look better, feel better, and you'll live longer and look better. So those are the basic stepping stones of the pyramid. All the other things, you know, you can do is you add on, but those those things are, are in your control. And and I think, you know, today's medicine is in your control. You are in control of your health care today. Yeah, I think that's some good foundational advice. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Rourke, for being here. It's been a treat speaking with you and appreciate you spending some time with us. You bet. It's my pleasure. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. 
Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.